No, I don't mind the swearing. I don't mind the drinking. You know, I think for you, it's like, I'm always, I'm like, I like your true rawness. Um, And I think that I only sometimes struggle when I feel like it's fake raw. You know, like, I like it raw. I mean, who doesn't like it raw, Al? Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. Welcome back to Landline Podcast. So glad to have you. 503-894-8480. couple of quick disclaimers. Number one, I use pretty bad language in this show, including things that can be abbreviated by BF or AL. Or something. Anyways, if you've got kids in the car, turn it up. And if you feel uncomfortable when I use bad language, put yourself in a closet and put it on repeat. Secondly, I talk about how I didn't get a job because I wasn't a woman of color. That is a dicey area to navigate in any world, but in today's world especially. I was trying to say that a woman of color was better suited for that company's management plan at that position at that point of time. So... I guess do with it what you will, and if you want to call me a racist, then that's your prerogative. Call me a racist on the landline, 503-894-8480. We haven't had enough people calling up accusing me of racism, so that could be a nice new element of the show. Next week's episode is going to be with Jeff, the hedge fund thousandaire, and I'm really excited about it because we are going to talk about Facebook and the Uber self-driving car that killed somebody and hot off the presses, and it brings me no joy to say this, there was a school shooting threat at my high school in Hanover, New Hampshire, where many of the guests have graduated. So a lot going on, a lot on the mind with Landline, and Landline, as always, is sort of staying ahead of the news. My mom quit Facebook, so we'll probably get into that next week as well. Remember, all shows available on Tuesday. See you next Tuesday on Landline. Now, let's listen to the show. Two guys, one cup. Thanks for listening. Spread the word. Landline. Drinking wine with a friend. The good times never end. Having a glass and tapping that ass. Yeah, it's a good time when it's two guys. In one cup, having adventures and sharing emotions, two guys. In one cup, lathering up with so many lotions. When friends get together to drink wine, you know they're gonna have a good time. It's two guys in one cup, forever and ever. Landline. Al. Tim, welcome back. Thanks, man. How are you? Oh, so glad to have you on the podcast. We aim to do this once a month when we first set out, and our average is now once a year, so we better make it a good one. Yeah, soon enough it's going to be once a decade. 
Come um, on. You said we'd do a case. I don't think realize what this does to a person. I know. Well, I was listening to an old episode of Two Guys, One Cup today to prep in the Fred Meyer in North Portland. And we talked about how we'd try to do a case of wine and then we'd see if we still had marriages. So, Well, we, we know the answer to that question. It doesn't have to be tested. Um, well, wait. So but how are we going to do this? I mean, it's here's, like... here's what we're going to do. We're going to this is the new rules of Two Guys, One Cup that we'll do every year. We're gonna pop. We're gonna pop the cork of whatever we're drinking, because we've got to start drinking it. And then oh. after we pop the cork, I'm gonna immediately play the theme song, which you're gonna okay. hear o- over. You're gonna hear over the iPhone playing onto the speakerphone on the landline. But I'll pipe in the real file for the show. Okay. And then we'll start drinking, and we'll tell everyone what this is all about. Can't can't wait. So with that, we've got two guys, one cup. The Cliff Notes, Tim and I pop a bottle of wine. We both drink it. We talk about it. He is a winemaker extraordinaire in Napa, California. I am a podcaster not extraordinaire in Portland, Oregon. And we talk wine, and then we talk... Uh, it's the Food and Wine Show on Landline. So, Tim, I've got a, I've got sort of a uh, crate and barrel circular vase that is serving mm. itself nicely as a... What do you call it? A champagne caddy? What is the technical term? Hey, I mean, an ice bucket. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. I um. Yeah. Here we go. Where are you at? Have you popped already? No, I haven't popped. I mean, like, let's be honest. Historically, we've been drinking still wines, and if we're gonna pop a bottle of bubbles, we're gonna have to pop a bottle of bubbles, and you know, there's some good sound effects. Okay, you start. So I we might as well just, especially in this little room I'm in. Um, the whole building I'm in could collapse under the pressure of this bottle of wine. Okay, well then you you start. You go first, and and your sound is great, and then right. uh, and then I'll do just mine. A second. Okay. I, it's, the bottle is between my legs, just to give people a visual. Mine too. Um, I pulled the hood back, um, which is an important aspect of a sparkling wine bottle. I've remired, re- removed the the wire. The good, you know, I'm twisting. Good, good things happen when you pull when you pull the foreskin um, back. And and I'm uh, oh I got some pressure here, and here we go. Whoa, that was big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. here we go. All right. Well, I have no towel. I'm on the nicest rug my family owns. I'm fireside. There is a beautiful sort of uh, used postmodern chair. Is that how you describe it? I got a fire. I've got a chair where you would be sitting, but instead I have a landline and a microphone on it. So this one's yeah, for, that works. This one's. I for mean, you. I could be sitting next to a beautiful raging fire, but that would involve me being inside the house. Um, and instead, Rachel and our roommate McKay um, are drinking. Rose by the fire while Felix is asleep upstairs. Okay, here we go. Here's my sound. I'm going to twist. It's between my legs. Shit. It's hard with one hand. Yeah. Here we go. Especially the wrong hand. Ooh. That got red yeah. going on the sound meter. Perfect. Not one spill, just a frothy. Okay, now I had two choices. I could have gone a, a traditional champagne flute. Or I could have gone sort of a coupe style, but I went with the flute because, I don't know, I think I left the coupe on the counter over there and I'm all wired in. 
Yeah, I've got like a white wine glass. Uh, it's got a pretty nice bowl on it. Um, you know, I, I think most sparkling wine shouldn't be consumed in flutes. Flutes don't do a whole lot for aromatics. Should I switch? Um, should, know, I, should I get like a... More of a traditional wine glass shape. I think it's a great vessel for drinking sparkling wine. Okay, well then I'll switch. All right, well, let's have a cheers here. What do you want? Should we cheers to the great success that is Donald Trump's presidency? Or what, what are we... What are we cheersing um, to? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great place to start. We could also cheers to, um, what's his name, Andrew McCabe's pension. Um, God, that's got to suck. You think he'll work at like a supermarket now? How about we cheers, let's cheers to radish season. I feel like radishes are getting pulled all around the country. No matter what environment you're in there might be a radish to be found that's locally grown so why don't we cheers to the almighty radish cheers to radishes i love them all right here we go green apple can i say that i mean you can say whatever you want Mm, delicious all right so let me just explain quick because we're you know 45 minutes in and people have no idea what's going on so if this is your first episode of Landline, welcome. Uh, you'll get the gist by just listening along. If this is your first episode of Two Guys, One Cup, this is one of the earliest iterations of Landline. It's uh, the Landline Food and Beverage Podcast. Tim and I both open the same bottle of wine on two sides of the phone, and we drink it together from start to finish. And we start off by chatting about wine because wine, uh, Tim knows a ton about it. And then we sort of digress into other subject matter, and then we, what's beyond digress, we destruct into uh, tertiary points of view. Um, it could be a lot of puttering. I will say that if you've listened to a select group of episodes that I've, um, you know, if you randomly picked out three episodes where I've been drinking, this epi- this podcast is not just me drinking and recording it. In fact, this is probably one of the only two of the podcasts that alcohol I want to be a feature. It just so happens that other things have been the case. But that's a whole other story, and you can hear about it on either the Toxic Shame episode or the first episode where Max and I talk about gun control. So, Tim, tell us what we're drinking here. You're the expert. Uh, um, we're drinking a bottle of non-vintage sparkling wine from the Rotor Estate in the beautiful Anderson Valley of Mendocino County. So Rotor, R-O-E-D-E-R-E-R, brown copper label, dark green bottle, and pretty much found, I would say, nationwide at supermarkets, if not wine shops. Totally. Totally. And without a doubt, and I, this is the best bottle of domestic sparkling wine that uh, someone can purchase in the United States. Wow. There will be plenty of people who disagree, but they're just wrong. Um, so, you know, you can try to disagree, Alex, but again, you'll just be wrong. Well, I, so, you know, I've been thinking about this episode for a couple of weeks, and there's so much to be learned here on the wine uh, side. So it is a cacophony of options now at the supermarket um, to buy sparkling wine. And in fact, it's just mislabeled champagne. And anyone who's seen Wayne's world knows that champagne only comes from the champagne part of France. 
So everything else is just sparkling. But, you know, the Cava is huge now. Prosecco is huge now. And I want to get into all those areas and get your analysis. But talk to us about American sparkling line, wine. Like, what grape are we drinking right now? And, you know, what are they doing? Just making white wine and force carbonating it? Like, how, how is this made and why do you think it's good? Um, this is made using the traditional method champenois. Um, it's a prime, you know, it's a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. I would say primarily uh, Chardonnay, um, and it's it's just a, a really classically made, you know, New World expression of sparkling wine. So it's a the American consumer, generally speaking, likes things quite sweet, um, and you know, sparkling wine is certainly. Uh, you get just incredibly sweet expressions of wines. Um, Rotor does a really good job of of maintaining very crisp acidity, having some residual sweetness, but ultimately makes wine that is, you know, I think it, it sort of works that angle of satisfying the new world's love of sweet fruitiness while still sort of maintaining some vibrancy um, that is very much an old world quality of, you know, champagne and, and European wines. So the b- basic fork in the road when it comes to sparkling wine for, you know, snobs versus mass consumers or people who want to know more seems to be sugar. So anyone who thinks they know something about sparkling wine would attest that a sweet, a too sweet sparkling wine is a illustration of something that's bad quality. Whether or not that's true what are people doing to make wine too sweet? I mean, is it at, is it just using overripe grapes? Just, I guess, to back up for anyone who doesn't know, you're harvesting grapes at various types of 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 sugar content, and then you're pressing them into basically a slurry or a jam and letting them ferment and then pressing out a more clarified juice, which becomes the wine. That's kind of a bastardized version of what goes on, and why am I the one explaining it? But... Tim, oh, it's like, funny because you you've worked two harvests at my winery, so you should know even better than the description you just gave. Well, that's, exactly how wine's made. No, I know how wine is made. You're stripping it off the you're you're picking it, then you're stripping it off the stems, and then you're you're basically you know squeezing all the sugary juice out of it just through the process of of kind of destemming it, and then you have this. I, I, what what would be the most common uh, comparison in the world? Not jam, but what is before wine is pressed? What is it? It's like, like sauerkraut. Remember, we're talking. You're, I think, attempting to describe how red wine is made. <laughs> um, sparkling wine is made uh, in a way mostly, the, you know, how white wines are made. So the the fruit is picked, rarely distemmed. It's put into a press um, as clusters. Wow. You press the wine so wrong. until you have a juice. Um, that juice, you can do a number of things, but you more or less ferment it at a, a very low temperature until it's dry. And, you know, that's how you, most people make white wine. Well, the, the, the oversimplified version. The Mexican bosses are the ones who make white wine. That's, that's I, the, like, seasonal labor like me. Ivy League-educated seasonal labor does not make white wine. They make red. They sit on the sorting table and make red wine. 
I don't think I ever yeah, touched I mean, white wine. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you you weren't exposed to our white wine production, um, but Other... sparkling wine is primarily made like white wine is, at least to begin with. Okay, so um, going back to the sugar question, is it merely the quality of the grape or when the grape is picked, or why why is a prosecco in the eyes of a just basic consumer a sweeter sparkling wine than a, a champagne, for instance? Well, I mean, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, what you're, I mean, sparkling wine and the sweetness of sparkling wine comes primarily from a stage of the winemaking process called the dosage, which actually happens at the very end of a wine of a uh, sparkling wine or champagne's life in the sort of stages of pro- of making it. Um, so, you know, if we were to back up a little bit, and I and I'll answer your question sort of. Um, in a roundabout way, but you press this wine, um, you ferment it sometimes in barrels, sometimes in stainless steel, uh, you age it for a certain amount of time, and then ultimately you blend the wine, including all of its sort of solids and yeast content, and you bottle it. How long, you know, a bottle is sort of kept on its side with all the solids is dependent on the, the producer or the style of sparkling wine that's trying to be made. Um, but we're speaking sort of uh, strictly method champenois, which is the traditional method of making champagne. Um, in the case of the Rotor Estate, they leave these bottles uh, on their side with lees, and these are these solids, for two years before they disgorge them. The process of uh, disgorging uh, involves turning the champagne bottle until its neck is pointed down. All the sediment settles in the neck. They freeze the neck. Then they turn the bottle over and open it, and out shoots this little plug of solid. Wow. Now, this is, yeah, is, I mean, this they, is, this if is you wanna, true you know, for if the— you, If you're thinking about a terrible ROI— Sparkling wine is about as bad as it gets. I was going to say, so um, this this twenty three dollar bottle of Rotor Estate that I bought at Fred Meyer had all that happen to it. Oh yeah, and so so at that when you fire this little plug that you know is maybe uh, anywhere from a half inch to three quarters of an inch long out of the neck by hand, you then have uh, you're missing a little bit of volume, um, and so what you do is you have to top that bottle. Um, so up to this point, you know, the wine is fermented out based on uh, the sugar level of the grape. Um, most times people pick sparkling wine in the 17 to 19 bricks, so much lower than a traditional still wine. So as a finished wine in bottle, it's rated somewhere between 11 and 12%. So when they add uh, this little bit of wine to fill up the neck, what they're adding is called the dosage. So a couple things happen in that dosage. Often there's a little bit of yeast and there's some sugar as well as some of the finished wine. At that point, you put the cork in the bottle, that big mushroom cork that you know is a sparkling wine cork. You tie you tie on the the hood um, or the cage, and a secondary fermentation occurs in the bottle. And this is how you carbonate sparkling wine. Is that the yeast are fermenting the sugar of the dosage, and and what's left is a um, you know with no place for the you know the carbon dioxide to go from the fermentation, the wine becomes bubbly. 
so there's a, a, a very sort of fine science of how much sugar goes in, how bubbly you want it, um, and a lot of sort of trade secrets as to you know what wineries believe is the perfect balance of residual sugar. Um, but that process really happens at the, the very end of the, the champagne or sparkling wine's life. So, um, wait, before you get to this, so, I mean, how many thousands bottles of, if, if you can get Rotor Estate in, you know, the, the Costco and Anchorage before you go on a helicopter ski trip, and, and you can, how, how many bottles of this shit are they making and distributing, and who's the asshole who has to pop that frozen cork out, that frozen slug out, and add the yeast, or it's all done by machines? Yeah, I mean, they do about 80,000 cases a year, which um, which sounds like a lot. But when you look at, say, um, a competing California sparkling wine house like Chandon, I think they're doing probably five or 600,000 cases a year. And if you're looking at, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good cava or uh, a good cava producer, um, you know, yeah, like La 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 something La, not La Prosecco, but the one with the blue bottle that has the minis. It's not good, but uh, it's Italian. Yeah, I mean they're doing millions of cases a year. Wow! And so, you know, everything is primarily mechanized, this, the various stages. But the difference between most cava and say something like this or most champagne is that the way in which you carbonate the wine. Um, with traditional champagne or with the rotor estate is uh, of the traditional method, which is just far more labor intensive and uh, costly. So it makes the sparkling wine a little bit more expensive. Okay, I forgot to play this theme song, but I think that'll really put a little pep in our step. Hold on. Can't wait. Okay, here we go. Oh, and my wife just came home. Honey, come get a glass of champagne. It's actually not champagne. Yeah, it's American. She just came home in like a fifty-eight-year-old male safari outfit from a naked lady party where they trade, uh, trade, you know, clothes. Clothing. Here we go. Yeah. The good times never end. Having a glass and tapping that ass. Yeah, it's a good time when it's two guys. Two guys. <laughs> having adventures and sharing emotions. Two guys and one cup. <laughs> lathering up with so many lotions. When friends Best get part. together to drink wine, you know they're gonna have a good time. It's two guys. Two guys. <laughs> oh my god voiceover by brian all right so it's brilliant so we should be brilliant. so we should be impressed with this with this bottle of of wine is what you're telling me and everything you just told us is impressive do you think they're making money because of the volume that they're doing this at yeah i mean i think that, i think they're making money i think that they own uh quite a bit of a state vineyard I think that they, listen, Rotor Estate is obviously connected to Champagne Rotorer. And what, you know, the, the history of sparkling wine in the United States is that, you know, a European sparkling wine producer, whether it be Prosecco, Cava, or Champagne, um, came to the United States and started producing it here in California. So, 
um, Rotor is connected to Champagne Rotor. Chandon is connected to Moet Chandon. Um, you know, Gloria Ferrar is connected to a cava producer in, in Spain. Domaine Farneros uh, is connected to Champagne Tatanger. Uh, so, you know, I, I think this is just a way for these European wineries, um, Euro- European corporations to have a uh, a product in California. Um, All right. But that and- being said, Rotor does the best job of, of, of making a sparkling wine, um, you know, for what it's worth. All right. Well, I'm on my fourth glass, so it's going down smooth. Um, and this is usually where you tell me you haven't gotten through your first because I've been asking you all these annoying questions. Well, I mean, I'm drinking pretty steadily here. I, um, I've been on a bit of a bender this weekend, so this is just making me feel a little normal. So, so yeah. let, let's just do let's do a solid for the. There's a, there's a lot of angles going on here. For, for this isn't just you know landline and Tim and Alex get drunk and Tim's the only guy who said yes this week to to being on the podcast. I think a bottle of wine is actually very landline. Um, totally. you know, beyond all of the sort of uh, pretentious jokes we can make about terroir and, you know, the atmosphere of where the grapes were grown and, you know, the people stomping it. Ultimately, you're drinking a specific place and a specific product and someone had a design for the taste and the affect and, you know, the flavor profile and everything else. So there's something pretty cool about opening up a bottle of wine. Um, having said that, so there's that element, which I think is great. And then the other element is people want to do well with all their food and beverage choices as much as they can, uh, contrary to the Poke restaurant in South Burlington. And, but, you know, I think wine is a pretty difficult pull for a lot of people. I mean, there's some major barriers to understanding, mostly not just because wine is some sort of sophisticated thing. There's just so many options on the, on, on the shelves. So... If we're zooming in on on sparkling and people are choosing a sparkling for Valentine's Day or for a night where they got a bonus or for just an exciting, sexy cocktail on the roof with their beloved, how do you how would you just help them approach that universe, Tim? And and, you know, obviously, Rotor Estate is a place to, to settle when you want to try to spend under twenty five bucks. But just generally speaking, how do you decide, you know, sometimes I just shop on price because I know that if I spend more than a certain amount that I'll probably get quality because I'm kind of deferring to the people who made the shit to decide what it's worth. So, I, yeah. you know, like, if, well, if you said to give, like, a... To, that's a terrible way to shop for wine. I know, but um, what, what are we supposed to do? It, it's, there's too many, there's only... 12 different kinds of steaks that you're going to get at a barbecue this summer and you can like you know everyone in 2007 was all about the tri-tip and then everyone started serving tri-tip all over you know the portland metropolitan area so tell us what to do because it is difficult and there are a lot of options and you don't want to drink shit if you're going to spend 20 bucks on something that can be consumed pretty pretty easily by two people or one person doing a podcast totally i mean i think this is like the the classic in my opinion, this is like the 
you, this is the value of your local wine shop. You can always buy wines that you know and like at a grocery store if you like wines that the grocery store carries. And in this day and age, grocery stores um, carry amazing wines. But, you know, going and talking to the wine clerk at a grocery store or, the you know, the, a salesperson at a small local wine shop, I think, is really uh, the best place to start. And I think that, you know, when, 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 when anybody ever asks about a bottle of wine, they're always going to say, well, give me a price point and tell me what you like. And the only thing I can ever tell anybody is to drink what you like. Um, and if you don't want know what you like, then form a relationship with somebody who knows more about wine, like a wine sales clerk, and, you know, go through a somewhat systematic exploration of different types of wine styles. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I have to say. It's like you, you don't be afraid to that's ask great. questions. That's great. And you they're know? pumping the local economy and... There's always like a quirky weirdo working in the wine shop in a good way, so you get to establish that awkward relationship as well. Um, they taste so much wine, which is something that I don't think anyone realizes, that all the wine in these wine shops are tasted by the people who are selling them. Um, and so you can only imagine how many other wines they taste that they aren't selling you. I mean, when I worked in a wine shop, I, one of my days of the week was on Wednesday, which is when we took reps. And I would sometimes have a, a line of eight or ten sales reps, each with any, anywhere from four to twelve wines for us to try, just waiting for us to have a moment between working with customers to pour these wines. And this happened every week. And if we liked something and we felt there was space in our store for it, we would buy it. Um, but half the time, 90% of the time, we were just tasting wines where we were like, oh, that was a nice wine, or that was a nice wine, but maybe it's too expensive, or that wine sucked and was too expensive. So, you know, these people taste a tremendous amount of wine, and it doesn't mean that they're going to like what you like or you're going to like what they like, but they should be able to, if they're good or even reasonable, um, help you get to where you're happy. Um, yeah, so I would say utilize that resource, because otherwise you're just going gonna to do things like Alex does and... Um, Oh, I call you and ask you. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, listen, you can you can also buy on uh, you can buy on label design or price. You know, you can do it do it all. But people are too afraid to ask for help, and I think that that's one part of a, any store that should be somewhat knowledgeable. Well, there's actually a wine steward at so. People have heard me say this, but we've got the National Grocery Store in Portland, and then we've got Whole Foods, which is national, but obviously has its own spin. And then we've got the local chain of Whole Foods, which is called New Seasons, and they have an active wine and beer selection, including a well-trained wine steward who talked me into something you hate. Well, no, suggested something in an area you hate, which is Lambrusco's, because my wife wanted them. But they had a hey, wait, 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 wait. Wait, when, how, how did I just? I had a bottle of Lambrusco four nights ago. It was delicious. Okay, Lambrusco is a sparkling red from Italy, and my understanding was that you didn't believe in sparkling reds for some reason. So, um, I mean, that's completely ridiculous. I think Lambrusco has been around well, far longer than I have. So, who am I to tell those kooky Italians they can't? you know, make a red sparkling wine. So they have a wine chiller and you can drop it in there 
while you're shopping and while you're doing your laps for your organic Ritz crackers for your 10 month old. And, you know, we're going to go off. Uh, we're going to go off in another area here in a second. But can you just tell me how does a wine chiller work? It's not just cold water because I dropped it in this tank. It's basically a, a, a stainless steel shelf with a hole in it that's got water inside the hole. I dropped. I, I dropped the Lambrusco in the glory hole, and I came back 15 minutes later, and it was ice cold. Well, what was going on there? Was there salt? Was there some sort of chemical? What 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 happens in a wine chiller? Was it just cold water? I mean, like the the co-op in our hometown had this exact same thing, and I remember like growing up going to the co-op and just sticking my hand in it because I loved how cold it was. I mean, it's exactly what you say it is. It's, I mean, it's a vessel of water that's chilled down to a certain temperature. And I do think it's water. It might have some salt in it or something else to make it, um, to make it be able to chill down colder without icing or t- sort of turning to slush. But, it's, yeah, it's just a, in the same way that, you know, a coffee maker has, like, a, an immersion heater in it. This has a series of, um, you know, components that chill chill the water. I uh, I don't really understand how refrigeration works, even though I work with refrigeration all the time. Um, but, yeah, it's just cold water, Alex. All right. Well, thanks for your, your um, physics analysis. Landline. Next voice message sent yesterday at 3.27 p.m. Hey, John Lucy calling. I hope you all are well. Uh, thank you for fixing my thing so I can listen to your podcast. I've been cracking out on it. It's amazing. Uh, the This year has just been so good. I'm stoked. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. Sorry we didn't get the pod last time I was there. Again, I think other things get in the way sometimes. I'm really looking forward to getting back on it. Uh, Max is amazing. Saul, as always, I hope. Uh, I've listened to anything from Tim this year. I hope he's well and Gabe and everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. We should talk about Gabe's shooting habits sometime and uh, see if he's progressed with that. Um, and hit something. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, doing a great job. Keep it up. End of message. Landline. So I'm here with head winemaker at Saintsbury Winery, Tim. The winemaker, two guys, one cup. Remember, if you like what we're talking about, or if you want to chime in with your favorite wine selections, or your favorite glory hole stories, call 503-894-8480. Got great momentum on the podcast, and I mean that sincerely. Sincerely. That's a new word. Seriously. Listen, I mean that sincerely. Now, just a quick check-in on one thing that we haven't done for a while, which is to remember what our goals are for this podcast season, and that is to beat one of my lifelong favorites, Rick Steves, um, in hits on SoundCloud, and we're miles away, but keep spreading the word. Do I even need to be here for this part? I just I can't figure it out. Yeah, you should I've been be. Listening to your, I'm an avid listener of this, so I just I always thought you did this part when you weren't actually talking to somebody. No, it's, it's called a live read. Now, where do you want to go, okay. Tim? Next, do you want to go to... Well, no, actually, I'm going to decide where we're going. So now now I'm going to read a five-paragraph essay out loud, and you're going to get bored by it. Um, but it's part of the landline brand. I usually start with a reading, but now I'm going to do a middle reading, and since we're drinking, it doesn't matter. 
Then we're going to talk about the grocery store at length because we've started to nibble around some topics that I'm interested in, specifically what where your shopping has gone now that you have a child and sort of some of your your mental approach to your food ethics in the world of children. And then I want to talk about how you feel about your kid watching TV. They call that a tease in the business. But speaking of Rick Steves, I actually applied to be a television personality. And I was looking for something to read that had I, – I searched on my Gmail, wine, space – Wait, I still can't figure out. Are you talking to me or are you just reading? Yeah. Am I supposed to respond or should I just be quiet? <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I searched wine, space, Tim, and I got about, you know, f- I think, how many did it say? 300, 147 emails. So I started looking through them. And I had a cover letter I wrote for a job in Boston to work for Chris Kimball, and I wanted you to look it over. I'm sure you never did. So now I'll read it out loud to you. You never said that to me. Dear Mr. Kimball and the Milk Street Kitchen staff, Congratulations on this new endeavor. I'm writing you today to apply for an on-air talent position at the company. I'm a seasoned cook, a gregarious personality, and a passionate storyteller. Explanation, performance, and improvisation all come naturally to me and all bring me great joy. With 10 years of broad experience in cooking, business, and content creation, I believe I am positioned well to become a magnetic personality for the Milk Street Kitchen brand. Have I lied yet, Tim? No, 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 no. I, I, I would say that you've only stretched truths, but you, yeah, you're, you're still being quite honest. Like many in my generation, I chose to immerse myself in food following a traditional liberal arts education. The crashed economy of 2008 coincided with the launch of my food cart company in Bend, Oregon, a town with more subprime mortgages than paying consumers. This challenging market environment ultimately sent me on an unplanned journey in the culinary world. I was forced to develop a different product, get a second job at a restaurant, and quickly learn about the method and vision necessary to deliver attractive, marketable, quality food. In the years that followed, I cooked at delis, pubs, pie shops, farm stands, and catering companies, and was exposed to the styles and choices that shape my ethos today. Throughout all these kitchen experiences, I've had something to say about style and taste and organization, but also about sourcing, seasonality, and animal welfare. I feel strongly that food is the most convenient conduit to a more balanced, conscious, and rewarding life. This is why I want to share my talents on camera, buoyed by the infrastructure of a professional team. Today's food reality creates a tremendous opportunity to propose intuitive, delicious solutions to audiences that have never been as aware of the problems or as excited to make a change. In close with this note are a few items that elaborate on my candidacy including a resume reflecting my work in food, entertainment, and business, a portfolio of food-related projects and concepts, and a somewhat random but illustrative video clip that shows a bit of my pizzazz. As you will see, I am entering the final year of an MBA program at Babson College in Wellesley, Mass. I hope you see this as a valuable aspect of, of my package and not as a 
of my package and not as a conflict <laughs> to my potential enjoyment. I would, I believe my business background could be a great asset to my perspective on air and I would prioritize a position with Milk Street above all other professional commitments. Lastly, thank you so much for taking the time to look through my materials. It's very exciting that your team is embarking on this new chapter, and I feel honored to be able to get a little slice of my passion into your hands. I look forward to chatting more if the opportunity presents itself. All the best, and, Alex. And I do like that you're pandering in a lot of your talks about your, your package, your asset, or putting a slice of something in his palm. Um, no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a tremendous, a, a tremendous effort in the, in the cover letter. I mean, I'm, I've read plenty of your cover letters and often they make me sick, but I think that you were, um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I, didn't I think get, I, didn't I can't, get an interview. I, mean, I can only imagine Chris Kimball sitting at his desk at home, just like, you know, reading through that, that whole thing. And I mean, I, I'm just assuming that he called you, offered you the job, and you turned it down. He never saw that letter. And, you know, in the in sort of the, the Rick Steves category of landline, so Rick Steves is a travel personality for all of you who don't know. He's great. You should watch one of his shows. I'm sure they're online. He, he writes incredible books. He's on PBS. He's got podcasts. Chris Kimball invented America's Test Kitchen, which is a very successful PBS show as well as a magazine, and they have cookbooks as well. And then he ended up getting in a huge fight with them and leaving and doing his own thing. So this was him building up another America's Test Kitchen from scratch. The reality is I hate America's Test Kitchen. I don't think the American cook needs a, 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 needs to know which enamel-bottomed, thick roasting pan is best to f splay a turkey and spatchcock it. So well, and then I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go on the defense, not because I'm contrary to him or not because I'm already two thirds done with this bottle of uh, delicious rotor estate, but because I think you're missing the point of Cook's Illustrated, which I think is a brilliant publication. Um, sure, they give you this uh, the consumer report bullshit. I mean, that's someone's got to pay for the fucking thing. Um, but what they really do well is they approach recipes and they say, where can people fuck up? And the recipes, whenever you're at a part that's really important, they make note of that. And, and I think I love that about Cook's Illustrated. I mean, I haven't picked one up in probably a decade, but I think they're lovely, lovely little leaflets. And I... Okay, so you I think you're you, wrong. Is what I'm saying. Okay, well, you taught me the best Cook's Illustrated recipe that there ever was, which is the cold start fry. So if you want to make fr yeah, if you, yeah, you want to make French fries at home, the best recipe of all time is from Cook's Illustrated. And what you do is you get a a large stew pot, for lack of a better word. If you've just had a wedding and you had a um, what are those things called where you put all your gifts? In a line, if you had a registry at you know Board and Basket or wherever you did it at Macy's, and you asked for a three hundred dollar Lay Creuset, then that's what you want to do it in. But you you cold start the potatoes that you've cut into uniform shapes in a huge vat of oil, and you put it on medium. And as the oil gets hot, it cooks the potatoes inside so that they're nice and fluffy. 
And then as it gets hot, like as it gets warm, that's what they do to the potatoes. As it gets hot, it crisps the outside. And then you take those out with like a nice china hat or some sort of slotted spoon. Slotted spoon. And put them into a brown paper bag with, you know, sea salt or you could add rosemary or an herb that you liked and shake them around and it shakes all the fat out. And I've made those at a crab feast in northern Virginia at a 400-year-old country home where we had a bunch of crabs that were picked up at a place in Maryland and cooked for us. And we just laid them all out on butcher paper with huge piles of those French fries. And it was one of the best dinners I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Those fries are excellent, Tim. And you're right about the method in that cookbook being incredible. What I don't like about Milk Street, other than that they didn't hire me. And also, we've skipped over the fact that how did I not get an interview? I mean, I think that... It might have been because I'm not a woman of color. How about that? It's because because I'm not a woman of color. Because if you turn on Milk Street, they're making like some sort of Thai noodles with coconut milk with some incredible world traveler who has a blog that is like half Indonesian and half North African. And maybe that's what... I could say say also maybe it's because your culinary experience never really left a deli. I mean... You like, think you think because I put things, you think I, I, just, I put de- I, fine. even your own resume. Whoa! Guess what though? This is exactly what I was saying with Max about the Pokey restaurant, and I know you've read the Pokey story and know about the Pokey in in Burlington. How could you have an incredible food em- empire where you were? like on top of the world like he was and then you get an opportunity to start everything from scratch and have funding and have name recognition and know exactly what you want to do and not put sustainability and food ethics at the core of every menu item that you are displaying to the public that follows you i'm sorry tim but it's not good enough to say like cooks illustrated is now going to like teach you how to cook why are you sorry to me well, I don't know because I think sometimes you argue with me about how important food sustainability is in these situations. And I think it's just because you're blessed with a California location that gives you sustainable food without having to think about it. But I just well, think let's, – let's, let's, let's just tr- – I mean this is fine. Uh, fuck Chris Kimball. Fuck Milk Street. It turns out that Milk, no one watches Milk Street, do they? No, exactly. well, of course they don't. So I'd rather have a podcast a that no one listens to that I can say offensive things on than be working for him. So it's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you would have tried to kill him so you could be the head of Milk Street. So it was, he just he knew it wasn't a good fit. That's true. That's totally, thing. totally valid. Yeah, totally like, valid. Landline. Next voice message sent Thursday, March 15th at 5.30 p.m. Hey, Landline, I'm trying to get in touch with somebody at the house, but many Gary's are answering. P.S., this is sort of like that new progressive commercial where that guy calls himself to leave messages about his himself because I'm the Landline guy. Also, a little bit of Portland culture report. I just walked past two bearded ladies, so I think we should start making that joke again. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Landline. But if you want to talk about food and, like, where food comes from or go back to our preliminary toast to radishes, which I've had quite a bit of, including uh, or, yeah, adjacent to a bunch of really lovely turnips because Britt and Rye just 
grow so many roots during the winter in California. We can do that too. Cause I, I do think, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what I feed my son, which currently is very little because he subsists almost entirely off breast milk. Um, but it's we apparently think delicious a lot. And we think about what's, reasonable and it's also you know it's, it's challenging when you have a kid who doesn't really like to eat food and you and your wife are i mean we're bona fide fat people i mean we like, we love eating so is that a reasonable transition yeah i mean no go you were i'm 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 captivated by where you're going like i want to hear about what you you're concerned about this and i want you to admit that it is preposterous that if you were going to start a brand new media company centered around food that you wouldn't make sustainability seasonability and sourcing the core of every single it doesn't have to be beating them over the head with it but you're you can't just it, it is a stupid marketing decision to decide to sorry i said decision and decide right after one another that yeah, it, 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 it's a stupid marketing it's a stupid marketing plan to <laughs> make a food network around anything other than what people are talking about, which is the farmer's market. Am I wrong? No, I mean, I think you're I, Like, I don't think you're wrong. I don't go to farmer's markets. You live in a in farmer's market. Sense. Yeah. You live um, in one, but, but I go to farm stands because that's like the farmer's market. That's always there. Um, and you know, there's two amazing farm stands. You know, most of my shopping occurs between on this commute from our home in Napa to our home on the coast, um, and we Both have rentals. one farm stand called Both the Green Farm in Petaluma that has anything from uh, um, right now. What do they have? They've got amazing chicories. They have you know uh, any sort of winter green, winter winter squashes are still quite plentiful. Um, Leeks, they're beginning to get sort of like the green onion sort of springtime. Yep. Uh, the springtime onion family stuff, whatever it's called, alliums. Um, but then they have amazing meat, which is all grown. It's both beef and pork. It's all grown on a ranch and a little bit n- north of the farm stand. And they have these, they have this pork sausage that they make from they make from mangalista i think it's mangalista pigs and you have to google and look at a mangalista pig it looks like a bear it's like these are pigs that have long curly hair um they're the funniest looking things in the world um and they're you know it's the meat and the the produce is exceptional but what's even cooler than the green street farm which is my first stop on my trip from napa is the the farm stand in Bolinas, which is run by a local family who are farmers, and it's a 24-hour, it's always open, and it's never manned by anybody except when they're selling crab, which only happens during crab season, and it's only on, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If I'm burping a lot, I apologize. It's just I'm chugging sparkling wine. So easy um, to drink. Can we just do a side note how easy this is to drink? I'm almost done with my bottle. You're done with your bottle? Yeah, we've done. No, I'm almost done with my bottle, but I'm just saying we've done. We did the locations red from France. 
We did an Argentinian white. We did Ridge Zinfandel. I think those are the three wines we've done on Two Guys, One Cup. That we, we, We've struggled to finish those bottle of wines in an hour and a half. We're like 40 minutes in, and we're both scraping the end of the bar- bottle. So that's just that's what sparkling, good sparkling wine is. It's easy drinking delight. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, if, if anyone doesn't like sparkling wine, it's because they've only had shitty ones. Um, it is really the nectar of the gods. So get to the goddamn point, Tim. Like, what are you going to feed your kid, and how are you doing this, and have you been in the supermarket soon, and what about price, and what about the fact that— yeah, not- So, yeah, yeah, back to, back to Felix's food. We feed him all sorts of stuff, and he, like, I'll, I'll tell you what we fed him tonight for dinner. Um, ribeyes. um Locally raised, pretty well cooked um, ribeyes, uh, sweet potatoes, a beautiful salad of local chicories, then a big chunk of burrata um, and broccolini because he's a bit, he, when nothing, when he won't eat anything else, he'll eat the broccoli on his plate. He's a f- fucking weirdo. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like we fed all that to him. And he turned it into Play-Doh, and then he took a paper towel that we had brought to him to clean him up, um, and he squeezed the paper towel as hard as he could until he got a few drops of water on the table and then started licking the water off the table. Uh, I'm just like, you know, right now we're, we're less concerned about, like, the ethics of the you know, the food that we feed them. We're just trying to get them to eat anything. Well, so... We'll eat anything, we'll feed it to them. I just... Yeah, I mean, I freaked out at Anna sometimes because of the waste, the amount of food waste that's going on. It's a, it's a terrible battle. It's, it's definitely a window into my own psychosis. Like, talk about the stupidest things to fight about. 75 cents. Wasted sweet potato. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's like, it, she's just trying to get him to eat something. And I come in and I'm like, why does all this food all over the, you know, floor and the counter? And can we just try bringing one thing out at a time? But it is interesting how, you know, when I'm buying certain pieces of food, like we had, speaking of poke, I actually made poke last night. Talk about the hypocrisy of Alex. What should the hypocrisy of Alex drop be when I get Brian, the voiceover guy, to redo all the voiceovers? Because there should be, like, the hypocrisy of Alex. That It should be something like that. So I Well, made... I mean, it, it could be the book that Saul wrote about you called The Opposite of Balax. <laughs> Did he write it? I mean, he wrote it years ago. It's brilliant. How, how, why didn't he... Why hasn't he read it out loud on the podcast? Well, I mean, you'll... I mean... This is a conversation for you to have with Raul, I think. Yeah, Raul needs to come out. So, anyways, the point is this. I had some sushi-grade albacore tuna that was sustainably caught. You don't like albacore too fishy? Just not good enough for you? No, I just don't like, I mean, tuna in general is a species of fish that that really doesn't need uh, any human attention right now. Yeah, you're right. Even albacore. Sustainably caught. I mean, like, I mean, you, you use terms like seasonable, uh, sustainable. They mean nothing. I do a good they, job. They I do. Literally a... mean nothing. That's saying natural. It's like, oh, this is natural. No, come on. Okay, fine. Maybe the tuna is a, is one of my like exes on this month, but 
I do a good job and I'm trying to have a conversation with you about it right now. Like what people I'll out there about the X I had on this month was a double double from in and out. And how was it? It's fucking delicious. But it gave me gas for about 48 hours, which, I mean, it could have been that or a number of other things, really. I, uh, I'm mostly gassy. All right. Remember, folks, if you want to support the show, make sure you spread the word, tell a friend, and you can always call the landline at 503-894-8480. We are here to play your message or maybe even answer it aggressively during the middle of the day, as I do sometimes. This is Two Guys, One Cup, the food and beverage episode on Landline. Other episodes are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show. If someone has a solution for listening to Landline without using their iPhone or their computer, please call in and leave a message because we should spread that word. All right, well, do you, you want... thought about pressing Landline into a record? Yeah, yeah well, I've, I've talked about that. There's a place in L.A. that does that. I just don't think any of the landlines I've done are good enough yet. But if I had the perfect... Yeah, I think you're right. Think of the... If I had the perfect... You know, you and I could do a live landline in front of a group where we're all drinking the same wine. And that could be a really... Everyone has a bottle and everyone has to drink it. Yeah, and that could be like... That should be... What's the the coolest wine festival that exists? Like a multi-day thing where there's different where there's different uh, panel discussions and there's different, you know, there's a musical act and people are on different stages. You and I could be like the late night act. Yeah. I mean, I don't think wine, wine things exist like that. I mean, Pebble Beach food and wine, I think we could probably get into and pitch that to them. I mean, it just seems like a giant liability. I mean, I'm, I'm nervous about getting out of this little writer shack, um, across about six feet of lawn to my porch and then up eight stairs into my dining room. Uh, it just, it's, it's a lot drinking a whole bottle of wine by yourself. I know I've got uh, one glass left. So one glass left. We're coming in on the end here. Perfect timing. Do you want to talk about the seltzer wars? Do you want to talk about my, um, do you have anything sort of to communicate about the quality of the cashier at the grocery stores you go to? Um, or do you want to talk, talk about, you know, feel talking about, uh, whether, whether or not to watch, let your kids watch TV. Those are the three areas. Well, let's, I would say let's talk about TV. Um, okay. So cause I have a, I have a love hate with TV. So okay, I'll good. let let's, you rant and then I'll give you my point of view. All right. Well, there's a oh, great. So. Listen, obviously, the baby having a cell phone, worst case scenario. Tim, I don't know. Did you get did you get forwarded that petition that was going around about signing something that said you wouldn't give your kid a cell phone until he was in eighth grade? Uh, no, no one sent that to me. All right, I'll send it to you. I'll have Anna send it to you. So we got forwarded something that basically was a parent signed petition that would promise that you wouldn't give your kid a, a cell phone before eighth grade because of, you know, the litany of reasons, including. Is that like a promise ring that you give your, your daughter? Yeah. It's like a promise ring you get in Utah when you're 16. And then you like go out that night and like have a couple sodas at the sheets or the come and go. And then you, like... and, then, and then you float, right? Yeah. No, you go, you, no, you go and do anal. That's what you do. You float a little bit, and then you're like, let's just do anal. We got to finish the job. So, 
um, we got one of those. So obviously, you know, it is amazing. Like you hear people say this before you have a baby and you're like, ha ha. Well, like my kid's not going to be like that. My kid can open an iPhone. He can. My kid is 11 months old and he can swipe right and open an iPhone and like open an app. Now it's basically just a bunch of like hand pressing, but it gets the job done. So, so, so I'm not, intuitive those Apple iPhones. Exactly. And, and maybe they designed them for babies. I mean, a lot of the media coming out about it now, it suggests that maybe they have, don't have our best interests in mind, as I've been saying for the last 10 years. So ultimately we're all trying to keep our kids away from iPhones, but I'm not necessarily a perfect subject there. But I would say that we on the whole are pretty good about having an iPhone between us and our kid. Like we do the best we can. The TV, as a result, has become a benevolent presence. It seems like it's not a big deal if my, I think I have a 60-inch TV. I have a huge TV. It was like on sale. The salesman wouldn't let us leave the store without buying it. He gave it to us for 30% of the ticket price. Who knows what was it? I mean, we paid, I think, 300 bucks for it. It was like a $1,000 TV. And it fits perfectly. It's the biggest TV I've ever had. I've never, I'll never have a bigger TV. It's an embarrassingly large TV. Now we've got the over-the-air cable with the antenna, so we get all the networks plus the CW plus all the shopping networks plus all the Latino Christian networks plus the white Christian networks plus all three of the PBS stations and the PBS station that plays the radio of NPR. Okay, so you've got that. And then you've got Netflix and Amazon and all that crap. So the thing for me, which is different between me and you, and I was thinking about this. So I love sports. You love sport without an S. You love boxing. You love amateur stuff. You like to read Porn. it. What did you say? Porn. You love You love. You love like reading a New Yorker article about the, you know, River Thames race or whatever it is. I love I love like the NFL playoffs and the NCAA tournament and the way that if you thought TV like on demand TV was good, it's never been better for sports. I've been screaming for years. I just want the on demand sports to get better. I can watch every single game in the NCAA tournament on my television because I have my parents' username and password for their Xfinity account. So it's perfect. Okay. So on Sundays when there's golf on or there's NCAA tournament on or there's NFL playoffs on or really anything, I'll watch any of it. I just love sports. I have it on on mute in our kind of family room kitchen area and should i be worried about homer seeing that stuff i mean i don't know the answer but it is interesting that in a world that's so dominated by screens the tv has suddenly become like a good piece in my crazy landline mind so with that i don't think i don't think you're wrong man i think um I don't think Felix is really that interested in TV and like, you know, we, we will periodically stream some Sesame street form or some sort of animated cartoon, um, or a Pixar movie. Um, but he doesn't have the attention span to really sit down and it's like, I would love the TV to be the babysitter that it was for me growing up. Um, and that's not a, a reflection on my parents' parenting. They were very present. But, you know, 
I watched some TV growing up. Um, yeah, I mean, I think cell phones are 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 far more dangerous. Um, so I, I agree with you. I you know I let Felix you know if we if we're if we're going for an extra twenty minutes in bed in the morning, yeah, he can watch Rassy. Or if you like, I'm trying to make him nap and. He wakes up and is like uh, exhausted, but not willing to go to sleep. I will. I'll put on Sesame Street, and he can watch that until he falls back asleep. So, and it's interesting so too that, me, like me and you, who are, you know, whether or not you're where, no matter where you're on the spectrum of like landline or cell phone or all that stuff, you still are. If you're in our generation, you came from a television family, and look at us, like. We're pro- pretty introspective when it comes to technology and whether or not it's okay or not, and is Facebook good? Uh, clearly not. So I would say we're very suspect of technology. Yeah. So and and we were TV people. Now I can remember my dad screaming from the living room to the TV room where he was like reading the paper and I was watching my like it would be my you know out at an hour and forty five minutes or an hour and thirty five minutes of like Nickelodeon or whatever. He would yell from the other room, turn that crap off, right? Because it was like I was supposed to have an hour of television a day, and that was it. Still, though, even with that sort of like governor, I watched a fair amount of TV, and I'm, I hate technology. So what does that tell you about television? Well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. that It wasn't very good. I mean, the TV today, or at least if we're going to talk about content, is – so much more engaging than I think the TV we were watching. I mean, what my so-called life? Like, what, like? Oh, come on. Let's <laughs> let's name our favorite show. Let's name our. This is good. Let's let's go as far as we can with our favorite shows from like our kid being a kid, like twelve and under. Hey, dude is my number one. Hey, hey, dude's good. Um, hey, dude is good. I. uh I think I've probably smoked too much pot in my life. I, I Salute like, your shorts. Wait, what did you say? Salute, Salute your, your shorts. shorts. Yeah, so yeah, you're very Nickelodeon. I mean, I, like, I get the Nickelodeon. Like, hey, dude, was good. Um, what about, like, did you watch Doug or Rugrats, also Nickelodeon? I just I mean, said Doug. I mean, I, like, anything. And, like, Ren and Stimpy? Like, that shit was funny. I watched Ren and Stimpy with Dan Rippey. He loved Ren and Stimpy. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Rippy. Um, yeah, I mean, I had an older brother too who watched my so-called life and like yeah. nine hundred two and zero. My yeah, so both I, those. My I sister did, watched both. You know, those. I did quite a bit of that. You know, we obviously watched Saved by the Bell, and then at some point, in, you know, I guess as we were getting older, we got into things like Seinfeld and. Um, Mad About You with Paul Reiser, like uh, just a little bit. I never watched Mad About You. Um, but so what do you like? What is your your cool with television? The only issue is that if you're administering it on the iPad, then it does have the ability to like go deep into the Internet universe. Totally. I, my thing is right at this point in his life, everything he sees if it's screen related is mostly animated and I don't know why that feels okay to me, but it's like, it's like a moving drawing and it's a make believe and it's, and it's not real. And I mean, I think that that's our, our general philosophy when we show him 
content either on a television or a cell phone is that um, that that's not how people interact. It's not like a it's not a way to it's not a reality. It's a it's make believe. So so it's okay. It's okay to experience, but know that it's very different than what real life is. Um, so I think yeah. I mean that's our general our general philosophy on technology. All right. Well, my wine bottle's out. Um, where are you at? Oh, I'm somewhere in the middle of the label, but I mean, what? No, you're in the yeah, middle. Yeah, slowed down. Should I, really, I, uh, should I open a Dos Equis? Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, okay, because I think gotten, I think we should go. I think we should into dirt, Alex. I think we should go to two sort of like real places, which are, um. Well, one was sort of the political situation just a little bit. Like, I don't need to, like, comment on it, but just how you're feeling as an American. What was the other thing that I wanted to talk about? <sighs> Hold on. Let me get a Dos Equis. Two guys in one cup. <laughs> okay, so the first thing is, Can you just give a, a listener's point of view? Let's do a little inside podcast here. Let's do six minutes of inside podcast. How how do you feel the state of landline is right now? I think it's great. I mean, I think that it, I think that this is a stage of evolution where you are um, you're you're actually becoming much more proficient as a host and a facilitator of conversation. Um, but there's also there's some things that to me are a little sticky, but that doesn't help that you're a dear friend. Um, but I think it's great. I think this is I'm very proud of you to have gotten to whatever episode this is. Yeah, I mean we're in the seventies or eighties or something like that. I should count at some point. There's some lost episodes that run talkforaliving.com, which if somebody sends me a hundred dollar check, I'll reboot. Um, but uh, eight nine four eighty four eighty five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. Wait, Tim, what's sticky? Do you? I, there's some parts where I'm not that good, like when I swear too much or when it's. No, I don't mind the swearing. I don't mind the drinking. You know, I think for you, it's like I'm always. I'm like I like your true rawness, um, and I think that I only sometimes struggle when I feel like it's fake raw. You know, like I like it raw. I mean, who doesn't like it raw, Al? Yeah, well, it's this uh, is this is an ongoing. So one of the episodes I listened to from that you and I did at least two years ago, I said lesbian out loud, and then we kept on going. And then I asked you if you thought it was okay if I said lesbian on the podcast. And then we kind of we de we debriefed on this idea of where is that in like you? I said it's okay if it's a comedian. You're like, yeah, but was it funny? And it was actually pretty insightful commentary. There is this element of, in today's day and age, not knowing whether or not you want to say, like, what am I doing here? I'm I'm talking out loud in a microphone and recording it and then putting it on the internet for everyone to hear. I have a mindset that I'm trying to share and I'm trying to influence people's change. I'm trying to have them play more board games. I'm trying to have them consider the bottle of wine that they're drinking i'm trying to have them ask some farmer what 
you know, when the next crop of uh, exciting vegetables comes out. Like, for instance, peas will come out for many of us in the in the next three weeks or, or a month. So those things are important to me, but I, I don't know if I always, like, effectively get that point of view out. It seems to be sort of grasping at straws, although maybe I was motivated to accomplish those things. I wasn't doing a good job of executing them. So what? I also think that, like, at this point in the game, it's like you've done a ton of these. Like, what, like, when does it resonate, right? Like, when do you listen to a, a, a moment of a podcast and you think to yourself, wow, we were talking about something real there, or we, you know, like, that was, that, that's relevant to me or people at this stage of my life, you know, more, more broadly. You know, I mean, I, it's good. I listen. I listen to it every week, and it you know, it doesn't hurt that you're my friend, who I don't get to see as much as I wish I did, um, and that you often talk to people who are also my friends, who I don't get to see as much as I wish. Um, but uh, you know, I think that I think you, in some ways you have to like loosen loosen the the expectations of what you're trying like the didactic nature of of maybe the the thesis of of landmine and really get into something that you know look for the nectar as my yoga yoga instructor would always say well and the nectar um, is the nectar and it's personal connection in a world that is seemingly having less of it right and and conversations about things that truly bring joy hopefully so it is short, sort of amazing. I hope that the listeners understand that maybe the best time of their week was something that was completely disengaged from what seems to be an overarching narrative in our lives right now. So whether you are obsessed with Trump or not, or whether you're obsessed with sports or not, like the NCAA tournament, or whether you're obsessed with you know the weather patterns changing or not all those things are through the filter of the internet and and mass media and the the distrib even if it's not a filter it's the distribution with which you're getting them and i hope that the best time you had while all of that was sort of bombarding you with facts that maybe made you feel uncomfortable was some sort of personal connection you had at a dinner party or with a friend or backcountry skiing or surfing or something. So hopefully that is the nectar. I don't know if that comes out, but, you know. No, no, I think, it's, I think it does. I, but I, I'm always curious. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, I think that you're exploring it, and I think that that's what Landline's about. It's not a... It's not some idea that you have all the answers. It's it's that you are um, that your opinion is about some things, and that you're you're exploring um, these opinions in your life and the greater world, and you hope that other people are exploring with you. Okay, so you love scheming. So let's just scheme. Like, let's say we have six thousand listeners a week, and we need to get it to a hundred thousand listeners. How would and and you can't use the internet to digitally market the 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 podcast? I've always said I've I've always said that I wanted to have an Instagram account, which I don't have, but I always wanted to have an Instagram account that followed zero people and only had followers. Like that's 
if you want to know who the king of Instagram is, it's not like Kim Kardashian or whoever. It's the person who literally follows zero people so that they just when they go on their Instagram account, there's no pictures in their feed, but that they have like six billion followers looking at the pictures that they post. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that I mean, I, everyone talks about Instagram. It's a ratio of followers to who, who you're following versus who follows you. Shit. I so mean, they if came you up have with more that. followers than you're following, then you're in you're you know, you're in the black and vice <laughs> versa, you're in the red. Okay, so Tim, what would you do if you were trying to promote landline podcast through landline measures? Like let's say you had a thousand dollar budget for the first month, what would you do? Well one of the things I think about a lot is um the World Cup beer garden. And I know that you had a social media guru to help with that but like how did you get everyone to suddenly show up um to like a parking lot with mediocre fried fish um that's a stretch and watch and watch world cup soccer um on tvs with tremendous glare (laughs) i mean it's like you you sort of you captured a movement or they were, you know, it was the spirit of the moment that sort of resonated with your, you know, it's just you, you somehow integrated your ideas with what was going on in a way compelling enough that people wanted to be, be there. Um, so I, yeah, that's my way of saying, I don't know. Well, that was like a walk by word of mouth routine. Like, have you heard of this? So okay, here let me throw out a well, couple. Have of... you heard of landline? Yeah, right. So, but that's too long. This so annoying guy from Portland who has a mustache but hates mustaches. You know, I was gonna just to comment on the mustache thing. It's like I don't have a mustache right now. It's mostly mostly health related because I'm just married to somebody who, if I have a mustache, it means one thing, which is that she gets mustache rides. So I just I don't wear one. Why not? You love it's mustache a, it's, a, it's a safety thing. It's like a, you know, it's like. Like an HPV I mean, thing? It's a what? HPV thing? N- no, certainly not that. Um, it's a, uh, you know, I'm scared of asphyxiation. I mean, she's just, she's a, she's a woman who likes to ride a mustache. So Yeah, just, that's right. I like that's right, Tim. And you you were in that episode. And for everyone who listened to, if you haven't listened to last week's episode about mustaches, you should. And Tim was was key in as a player in that episode. You should have a mustache right now. You should have a mustache and mustache march. I don't understand why you don't. It's well, you look it's you look because, so good in a mustache. All the things that I love that mustaches bring still happen, even when I have some hair on my chin. I should have a mustache. You're right. I'm wrong. Just <laughs> all right. That's the that's contrary to him. Just letting you have it. You just got to win. Just take it and walk away. All right. Well, the we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it there um, for a couple more minutes. We're gonna see each other pretty soon, which is exciting. Um, and um. Yeah, I mean, like, anything else you want to say? There's going to be at least 6,000 people that hear this podcast. Like, if you have – can you – can should we should we settle up on the wine? Like, should we just talk – you you know, 
do you think people should get terrified of the hangover rotor estate rotor estate should they get it for a wedding like can you can you give us a little more information on like when to apply rotor estate on mass like how how should we we want to be good we want to drink good sparkling wine we want you to tell us how i would say again ask your wine guy um when in doubt buy champagne Stay away from Veuve Clicquot. Um, Why? 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 Tell us fine champagne. Tell us um, about tell us about Veuve Clicquot. Get it. Give us the inside scoop there. I don't know anything about Veuve Clicquot other than it's a you know it's a it's marketing. This whole fucking wine world, the whole world is all about marketing. So if if everyone else is doing it, or you hear that it's a really cool thing, be weary. Um, Rotor State's delicious, and it turns out it gets you drunk if you drink an entire bottle of it, which I did. I didn't share it with my wife or my roommate, which I had planned to do. Um, so now I'm just good old-fashioned drunk. Um, okay, that's it. That's it. Landline Podcast with Tim. Two Guys, One Cup. Excellent, excellent episode. Find more episodes on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher. Call the landline, 503-894-8480. You have to spread the word. The feedback from the existing investor base is exponentially amazing. So you just Wait got a second. To, yeah. Wait a second. Investor base? I feel like I've invested in everything that you've ever started. Yeah, well, you, I never, you're invested I was never in... giving the pro forma... For, for landline podcast. Yeah, but you did. You you analyzed the pro forma about ten minutes ago. You said that you are proud of me, and you said that this is getting better, and then I'm getting yeah, better. Yeah, but do I have points? I want to know, like, when you when hey, you hit when you butt fuck Rick Steves. Like, am I making money from it? Is what I want to know. Rick Steves would be like, in Belgium, everything is fresh from the bakery, and butt fucking other podcast hosts is just as delightful as the view from the old cathedral over the river. I'm Rick Steves. (laughs) I'm Rick Steves signing off. So if you heard heard butt fucking, that means the cowbell has rang. The end of the episode is here. Yeah, you've got ROI. You've got this podcast still going on into episode 100, into listener 5 million. You need to spread this however you see fit out there. I can't be in charge of spreading it, but just remember that the world is not Who all... Who are you talking to right now? There's, you know, there are people that I didn't go to high school with that listen to this podcast, so that's all I need to say, okay? So thank you so much for coming, Tim. Um, thanks for giving us your point of view. Keep buying Saintsbury, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. That's S-A-I-N-T-S-B-U-R-Y. Or maybe you would say don't buy it, contrary to him. And uh, next time we talk, it won't be on the podcast. Wow. Hung up. He just hung up. Okay, thanks for listening. Adios. Drinking wine with a friend. The good times never end. Having a glass and tapping that ass. Yeah, it's a good time when it's two guys in one cup. Having adventures and sharing emotions. Two guys in one cup.
Lathering up with so many lotions When friends get together to drink wine You know they're gonna have a good time It's two guys in one cup Forever and ever Landline is hosted, written, and produced by Alex McKay. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. Taking this show to the top, baby. You're listening to Landline.